welcome to Inspiring Futures. I'm your host, Ed Cotton. This is a podcast where we talk about the how, what, and why of the future. Welcome to the latest episode of Inspiring Futures. My guest today, Chuck Welsh and Nandi Welsh. Good job. Rupture Studios. And we're going to be talking about a lot of things. And before we do, Chuck, would you give us a little bit of a background of your resume, a little 45 seconds, accelerated your world, your life in 45 seconds? Jesus, fuck it. <laughs> Thanks for having us. First of all, 45 seconds, man. Hey, uh, I got my start working for Russell Simmons. Uh, it was a hybrid uh, between his his variety of businesses and music and his internet company and his Broadway company and all the brand work we were doing for brands like HBO and Coca-Cola. Transitioned into the advertising business when he did a joint venture with Deutsch at D-Rush, worked on Kibasi, and then went out to freelance and jumped around a variety of different agencies, worked at Widener Kennedy, freelanced uh, with Mother and Anomaly and RG and all these different agencies. Worked at Naked where they they taught me uh, the strategy game, flying around the world, Mr. Matt Hardesty, thank you, my friend. And I've been in and out of agencies, a variety of different roles. Uh, helping agencies and brands connect to culture uh, throughout my career. Awesome. Nandi, could you give us yours? Well, I guess I'm, I'm old enough to have gone full, full, full circle because I, I actually started off as a consultant, but totally different type of consulting, but a consultant nonetheless for Price, Waterhouse, Coopers, and did that for a couple of years before switching gears uh, the first time and going into marketing brand management, mostly for beauty brands, personal care brands at Revlon and, and L'Oreal and a one-time independent brand called Carol's Daughter. And did that for global brands, US, you know, every stage of the, the life cycle before coming full circle back to consulting when I joined uh, Rupture a few years back and have been enjoying the life of being able to bring truth into marketing conversations ever since. Cool. That's great. One of the things um, we have in common now is that we're our own bosses. You know, we work for ourselves. And um, what what do you feel uh, that gives you versus working inside an organization? What is it? What does it allow you to say and do that you couldn't necessarily do when you're in the inside. I mean, it gives, it gives you freedom, but like I could say and do what I want to do when I was in the inside uh, because I I freelanced and consulted at the beginning of my career when I worked for Russell. I was never a full-time employee until we did a joint venture. So uh, early on in my career, you know, I saw black people were the first one fired. <laughs> I mean, last one's hired and the first one's fired. So that put something in my brain very early uh, in my career that, hey, you're always expendable. So, you know, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur and I looked at it like, you know, I'm here to give these companies all I can give them, give these brands all I can give them in terms of value, in terms of my knowledge, in terms of my relationships, my connections, my insight. But my job was always to to learn as much as I could and move on, right? I never saw myself as a, as a 
as a long-term employee. And I acted as such. And sometimes that may have ruffled feathers, but it, the ability to, to go out and make it happen on your own gave me freedom to not be chained to a desk and not be scared to start over and not be scared to get fired if I had to. I didn't want to get fired. If I did get fired, I know I could make it happen on my own. So that gave me a certain freedom and a certain level of honesty and transparency with, with my coworkers and my clients. And I think it, think it drove a different type of value because in the agency world, you know, there's always kind of the, the tension between getting too cozy and, and not having a point of view and having too strong a point of view. So it's always kind of trying to find that equilibrium, but I always went on the, the, the side of having too strong a point of view. And now that's kind of what we do why clients hire us now uh, and like all those years of being an employee, being in and out of agencies is practice to sharpen the point of view. So now you can go in and have that point of view with the CEO or a CMO or, or a head of a brand and, and understand how to, to control the room. Nandi, you were corporate side. Yeah, I think I think my initial relationship with the idea of being an entrepreneur was different. I grew up with uh, a mom who was an entrepreneur, and it actually had maybe an unexpected effect on me because I grew up watching her like toiling away into the night at her desk, and I thought to myself as I started my career, I did not want that that type of of lifestyle, and I initially did see myself as a corporate um, employee for life, but my nature has always been to be um, somebody who, who speaks the truth. And I, and I always struggled with that, that need to bite your tongue and pretend a lot in corporate. That was always the toughest part, part for me. I always just wanted to, to do the work, but there's so much other stuff that you get dragged into that as you go on, it almost starts to feel more important uh, than the work. So I, I, I agree with Chuck about the freedom and I really enjoy how it lets us have focus. Um, I'm kind of a taskmaster at, at heart and I, I just like not having all that distraction of all the bullshit, just focusing on the problem at hand. Yeah, it's interesting. You're talking about politics really, aren't you? Yes, exactly. I, I, I do not have a knack for, for politics. Yeah. I mean, it's politics is it's it's politics. It's race shit. It's 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 all of it. Ed. Like yeah. I mean, like you know, hell, I spent my career as a black guy in the in the boardroom. I mean, uh, and like dealing with you know <laughs> white people in ad agencies is not the easiest thing. Is is a, as the outspoken as an outspoken confident black man. I mean, it's, it's not it's not it's not an easy uh path by any i mean advertising is not easy for anybody it doesn't matter what race you are it's a it's a it's a grind them up business especially over the kind of last 10 to 15 years so uh you know i saw it as a place where you know i can i can do great work i could build relationships i can help clients win uh but it was interesting you know especially as i got towards the end of my career in the business where the agency was almost like just a place where I rested my coat because I was I was closer to my clients than I was people in the in the ad agencies. You know, like I literally would talk more with clients, and I would I would vibe more with clients. You know, so it's like 
you know, as I've been in and out of these agencies, it was like, fuck, man, like, I know how to connect with clients. Well, let's just connect with clients, you know, and I got clipped from my last job at MediaVest and I had a deal. So I was like, you know, I was debating, do I go back and take one of these dry ass corporate gigs? Uh, or do I do, I go back on my own and, you know, and Nani gave me the, the thumbs up and, you know, I was, I was back on, on my own, you know, and I've uh, been back on my own ever since almost six years, five, five and a half, six years now. It was a, a real pleasure to, to watch or, you know, to be by his side, watching him go from the corporate work back to what, uh, what he really longed to do. Yeah. It, was, it, was, it was more than a pleasure over, over time. I, it, it was enough to, to really make me question that assumption I had made early on about the corporate track being the, the right one for me. And I went from questioning it to being absolutely positive that it, that it was night. It was not the case. Um, yeah, so I'm thankful for that. Yeah, I mean, and just along the way, like, just been been lucky, man. Like, if there's a woman who gave my start named Ann Simmons, I have to definitely shout her out. Uh, who was Russell's partner, uh, and she ran she ran Russell's marketing company, uh, and she was she was fierce, man, fierce, intelligent, uh, sharp sister, man. She didn't take any shit. So. Uh, you know, she trained me early. It was almost, it was literally like boot camp. You know, she trained me how to how to walk into a corporation and, and have a point of view. She trained me how to work. She 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 helped me see the type of work ethic that it takes to to succeed in the business. Like nobody could outwork her, nobody could outthink her. And like she put pressure on you to match her. So she was like literally my my drill sergeant coming into uh, advertising full stop. So after coming through that and working with people in Def Jam, like you go into ad agency, it's kind of laughable when people think they're tough, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> you're working around, you're working around guys who, you know, come the street and, and, and highly intelligent folks and the most creative people on the planet. So you come into advertising and you kind of like, damn, like this is my dream of advertising. Like this is not what it's cracked up to be, you know? So, uh, it was like a perception of what I had of advertising, seeing like Nike ads and all these different things of the world. But you come from a place of, of whatever music business and whatever, it was a different, and especially that was a different, a different music business. It was highly, highly creative. It was less corporate, less data driven. Uh, and that was kind of my grounding uh, coming into the, to the ad business. So, uh, you know, those people early on in my career, Rob, a guy named Rob Love at Def Jam and Simmons, like they, they trained me uh, to, to come into the ad business, but they trained me to come from an outside perspective and kind of put culture at the heart of things. So it wasn't, you know, it wasn't about, especially as a strategist, it wasn't about the charts and, you know, all the other bullshit strategy shit you see in, in advertising. It was about like, how do you connect to people? How do you find, how do you understand people and connect to them? So I learned that early on uh, prior to coming in the ad business. And that was always kind of front and center. And that's what we do now, you know, for, for, for our clients is, is, and get to the truth. Cause sometimes that truth is ugly. Sometimes that, that truth is not shiny and pretty and, 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 and can live in a, in a nice, yeah. in a basket. you know, we get to the truth, whatever it happens to be. And that truth has unmasked itself in, uh, 
in the past 18 months, big time. But the truth is, it's been our masses. We were kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We were born. We're born. White people. White people. Yeah, we're born. Understand yeah. a bit more than they did before. Yeah, we're born into that truth, Ed. So, like, you know, it may be a revelation for others, but like, it's a truth that we, we that we that we're taught and we were, that we see and that we're exposed to, you know, early on in, in in our lives as kids. And it's it's the it's the it's the truth that that each generation has to pass down to their kids. It's the truth we're passing down to our kids right now, and hopefully, the truth, you know, gets better uh, as as each generation goes on. But that truth exists. But for 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 a long time, it, the the discussion was really about in brand integration in the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, how do we get our how do we make our brand cool? You know, and 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 people would that was the game. You know, whether people would try to to make that happen, and they didn't really think more deeply. I'm talking about white folks and advertising agencies. Yeah, they tried to borrow it or pay for it, you know, yeah. from some external relationship Yeah, with somebody outside the company, but hoping that they could still do their same old, same old internally. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess what is what is the notion of a cool? You know, I always think of cool as like a, it's like a hummingbird, right? Like a hummingbird doesn't sit still for long. It, it sits still and then bam, you try to grab it, it's gone. Uh, you know, we think less about cool. It's more about contribution, right? So like, how can you contribute to culture? Uh, and the best brands, it's been a switch probably 20 years ago, the best brands think about contribution. And cool is the outgrowth of that contribution. Cool is not Cool is not the thing. It's the contribution. And when more people experience that contribution, maybe that that outcome or the outgrowth of that is cool because people who are shaping culture appreciate that contribution and they give you some attribution as a brand. But like we start with like, what is the problem to solve in a, in a particular space in music or fashion or art? And how can this brand that shares a value in this space match but like what what can you do as a corporation when you've got scale and power and 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 media and distribution and all these different things how can you show up and 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 contribute uh or this the there's a space of lack or a space of of, of tension what, what can you do to make things better and that's kind of how we look at it uh like i said it's a fight <laughs> because you know the corporation is always concerned uh, pretty much with the bottom line, that's that's the end all and be all. But like our job is to help them drive more bottom line by contribute by the contribution. Yeah, I mean, there's there's this idea that people, and when I say people, I'm saying the white leadership of organizations think they can write a check and tick it off the list. You know, and uh, this seems like that's not, th- there needs to be a holistic. And, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't, and I wouldn't say, yes, in some respects, but I, I can't tell you the corporation, but we just work with a corporation and, and it goes, and it goes much deeper than just writing a check. I mean, they got, they got, yeah. 
programs in place. They're investing in, in, in organizations in the black community. Uh, they have black employees who personally have a, a passion and conviction to, to, to or not just getting them, they've been in the communities working. They just has they just haven't publicized it. Yeah. You know? And some 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 are scared to to publicize these things for the blowback or whatever. But there are, I have to give there are some corporations, especially pre pre-Black Lives Matter and Duran, who are doing a lot behind the scenes. You they just may not be publicizing it. Yeah. Uh, or you look at Netflix, who's putting money in, 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 in black banks. I mean, you look at Chase, who's you know, investing $30 billion in, in, in black and Latino communities. So mm -hmm. there, there are some corporations, and I say all of them, but there are some that, that are, are putting their time and energy and scale and power and money where their mouth is, man. True. So, there, there are definitely, yeah. definitely ones that are, that are doing, doing both. But I would say that virtually all the companies still need help in figuring out how to get to the point where the work that, that they're doing is what people think of when they think of them. And, and I think lots of time what, what sparks the question is when they make that big investment and write that big check and it doesn't really seem to have this ripple effect that they would have hoped in terms of uh, people's perception of them. And it, it prompts them to realize, oh yeah, we do need to handle the work that we have been doing differently. We do have to figure out how to actually integrate it into everything that we do and it not just be these nice side projects that have gotten done. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think of, you know, I think of a company like McDonald's, mm -hmm. you know, where, you know, they, they go off and write the checks and then they sort of forget that they're actually employing a lot of people and that they've forgotten how to make a plan, you know, they go off and write the checks, maybe for communities or maybe for causes or whatever, but the way that employees are treated doesn't change. And there isn't, so, so you, to me, you have like this imbalance. Mm -hmm. You don't have harmony. You don't have a holistic perspective. You have someone writing a check thinking they're dealing, but the situation as far as the internal side, the people inside the organization, their employees, the people that really matter, um, doesn't change. And I wondered, I wondered if you guys encounter that and whether, whether you guys think it's it, do you think like it's inside out? Do you think it's important that how you show up inside your organization, you should, you know, i.e. to do that first before you go out? Because if you're talking about blowback, I mean, you, you know, there's nothing, the, the yeah. most potentially dangerous thing you could do is actually kind of ignore your, internal workforce and then go and do something and then find that workforce is disaffected and you know they they become the first people to complain i mean it's 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 i mean that's the uh, that's the crux today right Ed? i mean you get you're getting pressure from the inside and outside uh, mm. and that's that's a big reason why corporations are, are, are starting to step up it's not just external pressure it's it's internal pressure, right? Because you're you're competing for competing for the future. Because like, if you can't re retain your workforce, you're 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 black or Latin or LGBTQ or or women or what have you, you're not going to win the future. So th these corporations understand that they that 
that they got to do both, right? You have to have a external message and point of view and, and, and purpose and mission to help society and, and, and communities of, uh, that, are, that are non-white and you have to treat your employees better, right? And, and corporations are on, on, on both of those paths and it's a challenge because like, I don't think you can wait to have everything's <laughs> hunky-dory inside because you'll be waiting forever. We'll be, we'll be long, we'll be dead and buried and our, in our, in our kids will be raising their, their, their kids before that happens. But uh, you've got a parallel path, right? You know, and we've, we've seen it because we've worked with brands and now we're starting to help corporations uh, communicate and, and tell stories. And you see, you talk to the black employees, uh, Latino employees, uh, whoever inside of these corporations, and it's a, it's a, it's a it's a challenge. It's the same challenge we had when we worked inside the corporations. Right, that doesn't stop. Right, you usually there's very little representation at the executive level. It's 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 paltry to 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 almost minimal. Uh, so you're oftentimes the only ones in certain situations. You're the only ones in boardrooms. You don't have people looking out for your best interests. You're you're expected to blend into other people's cultures. It's all the same problems that that have existed for 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 decades. So you know, there's a lot of frustration when we oftentimes talk to black employees for lack of voice, or lack of power, or lack of or lack of uh, matriculation. Uh, through through these corporations, so like you know, we don't have the <laughs> the silver bullet, but those 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 problems exist. But I think you you have to kind of be transparent, acknowledging those problems as you're as you're helping uh, better things outside the corporation. Because if you wait, you're going to be waiting. Yes, yeah. things don't change overnight. These are systemic issues uh, that that have taken decades to create and they're not going to go away they're not going to go away uh quickly yeah, yeah. to just rip off the band-aid let yeah. everybody know about their about the lousy numbers and how small it is it's it's not going to be shocking news really to anybody i think black people picture a lot of these companies being a hundred percent white inside so you share well actually we have one percent we already knew so that there's there's no that there's no need to delay working on yourselves and being public about it. Yeah, and it's interesting, man. As you know, we just did, we just worked for uh, uh, one of the big music streaming services. Uh, finished up right before the holidays, and like we just did some research, national research, and that kept popping when people were asking, you know, how what's the representation inside mm -hmm. of, of, of black executives. How are they treated? Like that's, and that these are these are these are unprompted. Yeah, people like it's it's always been kind of lightly mentioned, but now it's like a it's like a it's like a, a drum beat that's getting louder, uh, and 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 that kind of blurring of consumer brand and corporate brand. Are, are starting to happen where what the corporation does affects the brands and vice versa because people want to understand like what is the corporate culture and how are my people or whatever community I come from being treated inside and that reflects on how I view these brands and 
what I'm willing to spend behind these brands. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's a competitive threat. I mean, if those, dollars, if those dollars are going to, people are going to think twice before they spend the dollars with a, with a company above and beyond what the product delivers and much more about how the company behaves. That's a big threat. Yeah. And it's like, it's everything. It's sustainability. It's, 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 it's race, it's, it's race. It's, 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 you know, community uh, give back. It's all these different things that that's swirling around the kind of the modern day it's internal employees. It's all, it's all the stuff that's swirling around the modern day corporation. And these aren't easy uh, challenges to, to solve. And they have all these uh, kind of swirling at once during a pandemic. You know, <laughs> so the modern corporation's got a lot on it on its on its plate. Like you know, it's got a lot of resources, right? A lot of these big corporations, they they, but they don't necessarily have the either the cultural uh, intelligence or, or the empathetic disposition to deal with some of these things. So they're a lot of them are under siege. You know, it's a new world that's changing very fast, and you have. People, some of these corporations have been there many, many years, 20, 30 years, and they're just used to doing things a certain way. And oftentimes that's why they hire us to bring outside perspective, uh, a different way to kind of think about problem solving and, 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 and storytelling and, and connection. Yeah. I mean, it seems it seems to me that the, the I look at ad agencies and, and, and I see that the biggest problem for these guys is they just they don't they don't necessarily have the discipline to see through a long-term plan you know what you what you guys have been talking about is an endemic problem that isn't going to be solved overnight that needs discipline focus and attention and a degree of planning uh and stakes in the ground to show that you're making progress and people to be made accountable and that doesn't you know this is a kind of the ad industry kind of lives day to day. It wants to solve problems quickly. It doesn't really have a lot of long-term vision. Um, I actually have had, had a different re reaction because I, I felt like they err towards long-term. They're always, you know, thinking about the long-term relationship. There's always a reason not to have that uncomfortable conversation yeah. right now. Oh, now we have to focus on other thing, but it's a journey. So we'll get to that other thing next time, later. And it's it's difficult to bring, I think, the, the level of urgency needed. Yeah, yeah I'm not saying- Protecting your long-term relationship. I think I think what I'm saying is I I don't mean put it off. I mean start doing stuff, recognizing that progress isn't going to be rapid. It, you can't put it off. You have to do things, but you have to be committed. It's sort of a marathon, right? I mean, if you're training for a marathon, if you're running a marathon, this is like it's super disciplined exercise. That, that was kind of the point. Yeah, if, if you guys have, you know, if you've ever been close to somebody who's trained for a marathon, it's brutal now for them. Like as they're training and getting used to the toenails falling off and completely right. revamping their diet and, and schedule, it's painful starting on on yeah. on day one. But it's like sometimes that marathon view, it's just like this end goal. Oh, that's not happening to the fall. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean... I, I I think it's a 
I think it's a, you know, a challenge for ad agencies. They're, they're kind of, kind of in a, in a pickle, you know, uh, because like on, on one respect, in one respect, they're in a situation where their relevance is, 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 is rapidly being questioned, mm-hmm. you know, uh, clients have in-house agencies, you know, the, the days of the AOR are, are kind of dying. You know, they're, they're up for jump balls all the time. So they're trying to maintain a long-term view as they're fighting <laughs> for short-term relevance and often short-term projects. So, uh, and like, how do you, how do you maintain staff cohesion and culture and everything else when you're constantly reshuffling your deck, right? So they're, they're, they're transitioning from a old world of, you know, backdoor meetings and, you know, all that stuff and long-term relationships to a new world that's project-based, that's, that's highly, highly pressurized, that's, that's, that's fleeting. Uh, and you have people like us, not necessarily competing with ad agencies, but oftentimes we help clients own the intellectual mm-hmm. kind of, I guess, intellectual heft of the brand, right? Mm-hmm. So now clients are owning their strategy and, and, and consultancies like us help them mm-hmm. do that. So you're kind of stripping away a piece mm-hmm. that the agencies own. And oftentimes clients see agencies as, as interchangeable, uh, you know, and they're, 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 I guess, executional mechanisms for clients who own the strategy. Uh, so they're in, they're in, when that happens, that's a commodity space you're in. Well, we were, we've been talking in the past about diversity being the way in which you get to better. Like, mm-hmm. like it's been proven that diverse teams do better work, work better together, that, um, that, this is an industry founded on creativity that is obviously um, present in culture, in diverse cultures. It seems to be the, the opportunity is not just to improve those terrible numbers, but to, uh, to bring freshness yeah, hundred percent. Like, why wouldn't you want to have the most creative people on the planet in your in your business? I've asked this to 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 CEOs and heads of HR and chief chief talent office, global chief talent officers of, 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 of big networks. I've I've asked this question for twenty years. Why wouldn't you want to have the most creative people on the planet in your in your agency? And what's the answer you get? Oh, Tucker, <laughs> you know, we try to find them, either they're not there, <laughs> not interested in that, <laughs> this, I mean, man, I can't tell you how many excuses that, that, that I've got. I've tried to bring people in from the music business. I've tried to bring people in from fashion. I've tried to bring people in who are entrepreneurs. I've tried to bring people in who don't have degrees. I've, and, I, and, and I have brought people in and, got, and I've helped people get gigs or whatever, but it's usually junior people. Right, it's, it's, and there's nothing wrong with that. You got to give people a break. People need an opportunity to come yeah. in the business, but like I've seen the threat 
uh, especially senior people. I've seen the excuses, I've heard the excuses. And to, to, to bring in people who don't fit a system takes work. Yeah. It's hard. You know, I said, hey, you can't look for new people in, the, in old places. You're not going to go to VCU ad school, whatever the whatever Miami ad school all is different. You're not going to find. Yeah, you're going to try out a couple of people on stage and you're going to clap for them and say, hey, we can find this black woman or this young black man. And there'll be two people and they'll get in your agency and they'll quit in, in a few years because they'll get treated like a token and have no upper mobility. But you, you're not going to diversify this business by taking the same mode that you use for white folks, right? You're gonna, you, you, if you wanna find different talent, you gotta look in different places. You gotta create new mechanisms. You gotta create new interview processes. You have to create new mentoring systems. Like you gotta, you gotta re-engineer. You gotta blow up the business start again. And, that, and, and, and if you're under pressure, if you're a managing director at an agency or a CEO, you're going to say, fuck that. I'm not re-engineering this thing. I'm getting mine. And I'm getting, and, I, and, and if, I'm, if I'm part of a public holding company, I've got these bosses on my neck to drive revenue that's, that's rapidly decreasing. And you've got to put out your PR statements and you're going to have your, your, your diversity yeah. panels and you're going to hire your, your heads of diversity and all that shit. But you're not going to change. So, so when you guys have you guys have a you're you're privy to seeing a very specific piece of the landscape, and you know you, you you've seen you, you're seeing cultural the cultural movements, you're seeing the um, way in which corporate ways in which corporations and executives are acting in response to those cultural movements and changes. I wonder if you think there's a hot, do you think there's just an opportunity out there for people with the smarts, with the savvy to go and create brands that are going to resonate more strongly with these? Is it, is it, is it about getting the incumbents to change or finding new people who can change, i.e., there's there's more capital available than there's ever been before. But right? there's not. There's not. There's more capital, but that capital is not evenly distributed. If you look at if you look at the 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 amount of VC capital that black women get, I think it's like less than like one tenth of one percent, something like that. That's okay. less than one percent. Right? So like historically, that's always been a challenge for entrepreneurs. Sure. Or, or yeah. who are non-white. I don't want to say of color. All, all I'm saying is, if you if you were building a case uh-huh. for that capital, you've got a pretty good case. Yeah, I mean, if, to me, if the corporations were smart, and I know you know, having worked on Coca Cola, they have a you know, they have a VC arm. Yeah, uh, and they invest in all kind of companies. You, if, I, if I'm a corporation, I'm like. I'm 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 creating my VC arm, or I'm uh, you know just like you know Patagonia has a VC arm. All these corporations have VC arms. I'm finding I'm finding entrepreneurs who are modern entrepreneurs uh, who who can help me connect to new communities through the products and services they create. Or or alternatively, is there is there a a black VC that 
Yeah, and there are there there like I said, there are some there are some out there, and they're and they're and they're growing. But like I said, that's you know, in terms of black entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship of, of color, like it's always been a challenge to get capitalized. That's always our challenge. And you even see it with 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 guys at the level of Jay Z, or Puff, or whoever, or Russell back in the day. Like these guys, they always went out and found either partnerships or, or, or capital uh, from, from corporations. Not saying that's the only way to do it, but there's a, I think there are, are other ways out there to do it, but capital's always been a challenge, uh, I mean. Yeah, your question yeah. about which one, which one is it, the incumbents or the, the newcomers? I don't know that there's any no. sen- scenario where the incumbents <laughs> don't have to change. Where they can carry on doing the same old, same old, and somehow either magically within their domain it changes or completely outside. It's like, I mean, if you're the ones who have power, you're, you're, you're somehow going to have to change. But think about what we've seen in the last 10 years, you know, yeah. in, just in terms of revolution from a brand perspective, you know, you whether it's Airbnb, whether it's Uber, whether it's a stupid cast of a mattress. Yeah. So many of these companies have been formed, brands have been formed. They are challenging every single incumbent that's out there, whether that's the mattress firm or whether it's the 27 hotel chains that exist. Yeah. Well, what I'm saying is, is there an opportunity? Are there opportunities out there for black business, black brands to come in? Yeah, that goes back to his point. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure black people can come up, black people are coming up yeah. with great ideas all yeah. <laughs> all day every day but they're not just like there's a reason why those examples you've given yeah. aren't the black people who are yeah. coming up with the great ideas yeah that's there's no I'm... shortage of great ideas yeah. and as i was saying before if you want to talk about the most creative people yeah people who are you know by necessity have to figure out new ways of doing things because the old rules don't apply it's obviously black people but there's there's a huge gap there it's it's not enough to have a great idea yeah, like I said, we don't often don't get the the runway. Like like Uber hasn't made any money, right? Like we don't get that runway. <laughs> if you, if you're black and go to VC, I'm sure you're not gonna have years and years and years to, to lose money uh, while you scale to to prove out your model. It's like you know, you look at Tristan Walker. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like. That guy didn't have years and years of money. He had to end up selling to, to from Bevel to, to, to P&G. He didn't have years of, of flow, yeah, yeah. years of capital. Like he had pressure to, to grow or else. So, yeah. you know, oftentimes like you say, oh, it's, you know, oh, well, you know, it's, fa- it's fun to fail. We learn from failing. That's bullshit. If you're black, you can't fail, man. I can't fail. I can't fail. I got a wife, I got kids, I got a mortgage. I I can't fail. Like Jay-Z says, I will not lose. You can't, we don't have backup, man. It's just it's a if it's a different reality. It's like it's like the white boys in the in the address and Nani Nani alluded to it early. No, let's just do the work. I just want to do the work. It's all about the work. I wish I could just do the work, right? Mm -hmm. It's never if you're black in a corporation. You can't just do the work because no. the work is everything but the work. Absolutely. Right. So now we just do the work. We're blessed. We put ourselves in a position. Now we can go into corporations and just do the work. 
right? And that that's part of the explain, explain what you just said. That's there's kind of a lot. And there's people who don't understand might not understand what you're saying there because so when I say just do the work, right? That's the that's the common refrain. It's not about the politics. It's not yeah. about this the this the splash and not bad. if you're a black employee. Yeah, you know you hear the white guys. I've worked at all these different agencies, and the white guys with beards say, "Hey, I just want to do the work." It's all about the work. Yeah, yeah, for you it is. Yeah, you just put your head down in the corner and do your work, right? You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to tap dance. You don't have to smile at anybody for fear of being a threat in a meeting. You could just do the work. We can't. Mm. We have to do everything but that. We have to make people feel good. We have to be, we have to shrink ourselves to make you feel bigger. We can't just do the work, right? Now we just do the work because yeah. we go to corporations and we're honest with them. They hire us for that honesty and we partner with them and we don't kowtow and we give you a point of view, you pay us for that point of view, we help you win and then we're gone. So taking, taking the point you just you just raised, do you, do you think it's, do you think when you're talking about white executives that they are, um, cognizant of the facts they understand what's going on and they tolerate it and they let it happen or they're just plain ignorant and they just don't get it what what do you what 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 is it is it a mixture of both is it just depends I mean, on who you're talking to i mean i don't want to i don't want to paint people in black and white because sure. like i've said i've worked with white execs and in some of been some of my best friends like i said the guy who taught me strategy matt hardesty he's one mm -hmm. of the most cultured uh, intelligent dudes, dudes that, that that I know on the, on this planet, man. We're like brothers from another. I mean, so like, and but he's he was he's he grew up around different people. He was into different type of music and different types of lifestyle. So he wasn't in in his thinking and in his in his the way he lived. He wasn't sheltered. He didn't close himself off. Yeah. He didn't live in advertising. Right. right, worked in advertising. That's the difference. Yeah, to live in advertising and to work in advertising is a difference. I worked in advertising. I never lived in advertising. My job was to be open to influence and different modes of living and different types of thinking and and different types of people and bring that into advertising. I think I think I think the problem is when you live in advertising, when you think that's the world because it's not the world, it's, it's fantasy actually, right? So I think, I think you know, people who, who, who grow up and are exposed to different types of people and exposed to different, different, types, of, different types of modes of living and, and cultures, regardless of race, they connect with each other because they share the same spirit. They, they share that, that spirit to learn and, and to continually evolve. But when you close yourself off, and what I've seen in the ad business is a lot of people literally drive or get on the train and go to the office and then go back home, they close themselves off and they just like, they shelter. They're, they're living in a different, they're, they're living in a world that's different than the people that they're actually trying to serve. 
I think they have more yeah. choice. You can yeah. choose to what degree you want to not be ignorant. You can choose to be completely ignorant and still be considered fantastic at your job. It's like a, a personal choice and, and what your priorities are, but it's all optional. And I think part of what what we're talking about before is that for Black people in corporate America or in marketing and advertising or not, is that that same choice isn't there. If you as a Black person are completely ignorant of how, of how to make white people comfortable, you're going to struggle just at work, while shopping, just living your life anywhere outside of where you're surrounded by Mm-hmm. By by black people, so some are ignorant, some aren't. But I think there's just a degree of choice, and it's you're just you're you're welcome to to stake your comfort zone wherever it is, and your performance, the way people view you, you know, historically is not going to suffer if you if you chose to just be like, well, I don't know anything about there's that. No account of what you're saying. The people aren't accountable to that. Yeah, no, not, not, not at all. You can you can be completely ignorant and still be considered a genius. And that's why I talk. <laughs> and, 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 and that's why that's my point when you say just do the work. Gifted, you know, like you'll get accolades and all, and yeah. you won't you won't suffer. But the counter is not true. And I'm not yeah. even just talking about at a high high senior executive level as an intern. If you, as a, somebody who, as a black person who works in the mailroom, as a black person at the front desk, like you have to specialize in how to make white people comfortable. I'm, just, I'm, I'm fascinated as a strategist. My, my, I always feel that my job is to bring the person who is buying the products mm-hmm. to life and to respect those people and to make sure everyone who works with them does the same. Yeah. And, and if you do that right, I mean, Chuck, you and I have been in focus groups where people have poked, they poke at the glass and they go, oh, look at them, <laughs> you know? And, yeah. and I, that's obviously something we can't, I can't stand. But yeah. to, to, to reveal, to, to, I don't know, I always, and we don't have this luxury anymore, used to be able to say, we went out and spent a lot of time with 25 of your core customers. We went on shopping trips with them. We went to their homes and we heard their thoughts. And hopefully you've got executives who are receptive. Hopefully you've got people who want to understand. And hopefully you get people who are surprised. You know? yeah. I mean, yeah, that's that's the. I guess it's a critical to you, you're touching on a critical point. Like, how do you bring respect, yeah, into the process? And it, and, it, and it's tough for some some corporate leaders to respect the audiences when they're not they're not exposed to these audiences. Right. They, you do, know, they do everything they can to isolate themselves from it. Yeah. I mean, personally, in their lives, they may not be connected, and then professionally. You know, they see this audience in a PowerPoint deck or in, in, in a data point from the media agency. So, you know, you know, pre-COVID, of course, that was part of our job is, is, is you know, bringing respect and bringing kind of visceral understanding of, of people into the process, whether bringing these audiences into the corporate boardroom 
where they can be honest in conversation about what they love and don't love about a brand and just kind of what their lives are going, what's going on in their lives, or literally taking execs out into the neighborhoods, taking them into schools, taking them into homes, taking them in, on, on, onto the block to see how, how people live and what people aspire to and, and what are the challenges that, 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 that people are dealing with. So when you come back with a strategy, there's some context there. It's not academic. Uh, it's, not, it's not about PowerPoint, it's about people. Right, uh, and we try to do that. We've had some interesting research, you know, during COVID, where we, where we, where we get at that. It's not the same, of course, yeah. but it's like, how do you bring, uh, you know, visceral understanding of people because we're in the people business. Yeah, I think the point you're making is really a good one. I think the danger is, you know, that that with more and more data, you can hide behind the data. The data is just numbers. The data is not real. Yeah, it doesn't give you any kind of feeling or sensation or visceral reaction, which uh, e even for, you know, those leaders who love to surround themselves with data point, when you work in those organizations long enough, what you usually realize is somebody on their team is how to appeal to their visceral reaction, just kind of like what they think. And you, you can't really inform that just with numbers. You can list it, you could put it on the slide, you could have it as your backup in the appendix or something, but people re respond to, to people. And hopefully if you're in marketing or advertising or anything where you're trying to connect with the audience, you bring at least a certain level of curiosity. I'm, I'm dumbfounded by people who don't even bring curiosity to get to know their audience. People are fascinating. It's so interesting to, to be nosy and find out all the little bits and pieces that inform how somebody feels day to day and long term and short term. It's it's endlessly interesting. You gotta at least bring some curiosity, some questions. Yeah. Yeah, I think is is what I've seen over probably the last 10 years as as data has become more and more important in the in the in the marketing process is is the more and more people rely on data, the less and less they understand people. I mean every corporation we work with has data literally coming out of every orifice. Uh, on, on their bodies, but doesn't mean they understand people. It doesn't under, mean they understand the cultural context and, and how people live. It doesn't mean they understand uh, people's aspirations or, or fears or, or problems. They just have a lot of data points, you know, and, and you know, our job is to uh, take all this, you know, chaos of humanity and, 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 and help them understand what, what, it, what it means. Yeah, we use data. But data is just a a, a, a tool in, in 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 a box. It's not the thing, right? I think I think the business got caught up in data. Data is not the thing. Data is a a means to an end. Data is data is a means to help us connect or understand. Data is not the thing. Right. Data is a tool to get to the thing. So 2021, I can't believe we're already in 2021. What are, you, what are you hoping for this year? Just what are you hoping to see? What are you, what are you hoping happens? What, are you, what would you like to see? 
That's a broad question. I, I think <laughs> people usually hesitate, like predicting or speaking broadly about the future, but especially in these times, like I think we all know we have no idea how time periods or a year is going to end. 2020 was very humbling in, in that way. I know at the end of 2020, I was really hoping that the momentum would continue. There is a heightened focus on things that matter right now. I was hoping that it just wouldn't get dropped or forgotten in the in the new year. Never thought about what it would take for that to be the, the case. Would never have imagined that the year would have kicked off with such a, a violent uh, start that really reminded everybody about white privilege, which trickles into everything that we've been talking about. But I just hope that people stay the course, keep the momentum, keep the accountability, keep the transparency, and uh, just welcome the fact that we have to walk away from the same old, same old. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 2021, that's like, first of all, I want us to grow as a, as a, as a company. I want us to uh, do more interesting work, work with, you know, more interesting clients, uh, move up the, the value chain in, in these corporations. Cause I think we have a point of view and something to say that, that can help corporations grow. Uh, you know, I want, what I've seen is something that, you know, we've talked about, you know, I've talked about with people in a long time. I've seen corporations become more agile, which I think is interesting. Uh, you know, this notion of kind of strategic agility, like, how do you do that? How do you have a point of view, but be agile at the same time? Uh, I think it's going to force corporations to really crystallize their values at the corporate level, not just the brand level, uh, not just the, the not just the, the product level. Like, what do you believe is a corporation? Mm-hmm. And how do you? Well, yeah, I think that's a really I think that's a really interesting point that you know you did you were agile in the pandemic. You turned from doing one thing to doing another, why can't you apply that same level of agility to this? Because you've already proven you can yeah. move fast if you have to. If you have to. So they've been forced to move fast. So let's see if the genie goes back in the bottle or let's see if the, if the modern corporations kind of sheds its, its lumbering skin and, and, and speeds up. And when I mean speeds up, speeds up is a, to me operationally, but like, societally right culturally how do they speed up and get in tune with with modernity uh you know and they have some have in some ways so like how do you how do you progress that but i think as i was saying earlier corporations are going to have to define more closely and more more articulately what they believe at the corporate level because you know we see that at the brand level, that's part of our job. Oftentimes, is help corporations do that. But at the corporate level, what is your purpose? What are your values? How do you operationalize against those to be agile? So, what I do in 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 April 2021 may not be how I operate in in June 2021, but the I'm operationalizing against values in different ways. Yeah. So my values are timeless, but my application is timely. But so much, so when you get to, we starting to work at the corporate level, but when you get off on time to get to the corporate level, those values are, are generic or they haven't been codified. Yeah. 
to when you're walk, working across a, a matrixed multinational organization trying to get people on the same page and going down a path. There's no blueprint. There's nothing to hang your hat on. It yeah. just becomes a, a room of opinion. So something we've seen just kind of starting to do that type of work is that the need for more strategic articulation at the top of corporations. And that's the area that we want to that we want to push into this year. Cool. All righty. Thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Fun chat. This is your host, Ed Cotton. Thank you so much for listening to Inspiring Futures. Until next time.